Rick Harrison has been raising cattle for the last 26 years. He specialises in raising 100% organic grass-fed and finished beef. In this interview, he tells us about how to get the best type of meat to feed our families and why we should be very choosy about what we put on the table. Here's his story. Good morning, Rick, and welcome to the Local Paleo Show. Good morning. Good morning, Mark. How are you? Wonderful, thank you. Wonderful. I take it you are both wonderfully well. Yes. So, Rick, uh, you represent a Western and Panorama certified organic, grass-fed and grass-finished beef from uh, farms all over the West. Can you tell us um, about Western and Panorama meets uh, history and your own history uh, part of it? Yeah. Panorama and Western grass-fed beef started in 2002 as Western grass-fed beef. There's a group of ranchers that got together. Uh, one of my partners, Daryl Wood, actually started it, and we started selling two head a week in San Francisco. And then, and then it grew. Um, and then in 2005, we added the organic line. And we're a little bit unique in that Western Grassfed and Panorama is a beef marketing company that purchases beef from individual family ranchers throughout Northern California and throughout the Western states now. And they're raised to specifications that Panorama uh, specifies. So grass-fed, no hormones, no antibiotics, no grain, um, and then it's either has an organic certification as well and goes to the Panorama brand or is not organic certified, although it has pretty much the same protocols, and then that would be the Western grass-fed label. No, I see. Um, and we market it to uh, retailers and online. Right. I understand you uh, all of the Whole Foods um, on, on the west, all of the country? Yeah, Northern California, Pacific Northwest, Florida, and the Southwest regions of uh, yeah. Whole Foods. I think there's 135 stores or something like that. That's great. That's great. Um, oh, and how did you started the whole thing? How did you get into, what's your background? Are you, uh, you yourself a farmer or can you tell us more about yourself? So I started raising cattle in 1990 and in about 94 formed a partnership with uh, two of my friends that were also at small cattle herds. Uh, that's Pete's Valley cattle and uh, we've been operating that ever since. Um, we raise our cattle on the coast range of California in the wintertime when we have green grass and then in the summertime our grass turns brown and we move the cattle to the mountains in Northern California to get take advantage of green grass there. So California is unique in that we do have green grass in the wintertime and the summer uh, in different places. Prior to 19 or 2002 there was a group of us that were looking how do we raise a better product that we can get more money for? Um, and there were a few things that we were interested in. One issue I have with the conventional cattle industry is that the majority of the world and the nation 
is not interested in having fed antibiotics and hormones put into the product, but the industry as a whole tended to push that. Mm. And we said, well, we'll come out with the certified premium feeder that would not be implanted, no hormones, no antibiotics. And that's probably how it really started. We we're trying to raise a better product and get more money for it at the farm gate. Um, and pretty soon we discovered, okay, well, that's just becoming the norm. And the premiums left that part of the business. So then uh, we started the grass-fed thing, taking the product clear to the consumer and trying to get more money outside of the farm gate. So that's how it started. It was probably how it started. Okay, okay. Um, it may be obvious to you, but for us city uh, people, um, uh, I have to ask, uh, do you consider yourself a farmer or a rancher? Well, I would say a rancher, but a rancher is a farmer of grass. So, and cattle are the, cattle are the mechanism to harvest the grass. Um, and so really what we do is we, we take care of the land as best we can to, to make the most and best quality feed and use cattle to harvest it. But the short answer is I would consider myself a rancher more than a farmer. Right. Um, besides, um, I know that people are more and more concerned about the quality of uh, the meat they eat and uh, what's put in it while they're growing or what, when they're feeding the animals. Uh, so that's probably uh, one of the major drive for your market. But uh, do you think that the paleo movement helped you as well? I think the paleo movement helped a lot. Um, we went to the Paleo FX show last spring in Austin, and it was it was pretty interesting. We said these are our kind of people. <laughs> they all <laughs> like meat, and they all like healthy meat. So right. it's a pretty good fit. Yeah, absolutely. That's where I met you, as a matter of fact. If you yeah. remember, uh, uh, I also want to uh, clarify something. A lot of people get confused, and uh, even myself until recently. Uh, there's grass-fed and there's grass-fed, and the best, the best, absolute best quality is grass-fed and grass-finished. Can you explain the difference between that and grass-fed and grain-finished, for example? Yes. <laughs> so every animal is grass-fed at some point in their life. Um, the USDA came out with a definition of grass-fed, and they watered it down to, I, this may not be exact, but an animal had to consume grass for 80% of its life. Mm. Well, that left a pretty good chunk of time that they could be in a feedlot on grain mm. and still be considered grass-fed. So the grass-fed and grass-finished is when an animal that spent its entire life on grass and pasture and not eating grain and uh, we never have fed grain and uh, you know so right. that's the distinction we are grass-fed and grass-finished when you mentioned uh, earlier that uh, your cows are uh, eating grass uh, basically green grass all all year long right because you move them to the mountains um, is there a difference when uh, a cow is uh, grass fed for most of life and then during winter it's fed uh you know grass has been harvested during the summer like uh, i think that's called hay right yes is there a difference in quality with that the eating quality of an animal 
is dependent. Better eating animals are ones that are harvested when they're on a good plane of nutrition. So they're gaining, gaining, gaining all the time. When you harvest that animal, it'll be a, a good quality animal and taste good. Animals that there, there are certain periods of the time of, of the year when uh, even in California, and so this is one of those months, October, November, December, where you may have green grass, but the boom isn't to the grass yet. And so they're eating uh, dry feed along with the green feed. And it's difficult to harvest animals in that period of time where they'll be good to eat. So we will have to supplement with hay, which is grass harvested at its peak uh, nutritional value and fed in those months. Um, the, as long as the animal's on a good plane of nutrition, getting that hay, the good quality hay during those times of year, it'll still be good. And that's one of the challenges of our meat company is to be able to deliver a consistent product year round. You lose your customers if you start delivering poor product. And so the, if, if the hay is good quality and was put upright, the animal will continue to gain and continue. And then when you harvest it, will uh, provide a good experience to eat. So uh, I understand that grass-fed beef tend to grow slower than uh, feedlot. Um, typically, uh, can you give us a comparison of how fast or slow and what difference does it make in the end quality of the product? Feedlot cattle will gain four pounds a day, four and a half pounds a day. I, I'm not up on those because we just don't, I don't have a lot of experience in the feedlot industry. Our grass-fed cattle, if we can get a pound and a half of gain through the life of the animal, that's about what we budget for. Um, there are periods of time when the grass is really lush in the spring, it's headed out, it's just at a certain stage, they gain over three pounds a day, but that period of time is pretty short. So we budget a pound and a half a day, and um, you know, barring drought and other issues, uh, that's about what we budget the length of time to do it. So feedlot is certainly double that and probably closer to triple those right. things just because of the high energy that goes into those feeds in terms of corn and other meals that might have high protein. So. Yeah, let's, uh, let's remind our listener that um, the feedlot typically, besides the horrible uh, living conditions, uh, typically the animals are uh, given... Uh, bovine growth hormone to help them quote-unquote grow faster they're also given antibiotics because they found that and they don't give the antibiotics just to get the cows better if they get sick they give them because they found that uh, when you give them antibiotics they grow faster or they grow bigger and the other thing uh, that uh, um, you know that's one of my pet peeves is that they're typically fed genetically engineered corn uh, seeds, alfalfa, uh, soy, and some uh, sometimes even their own, you know, uh, uh, let's say uh, recycled beef matter, right? Well, with the bovine, the BSE, bovine 
or mad cow disease. Yeah. It's illegal to feed bone meal back to cattle. It used to be a common practice. That's illegal. Okay. But um, growth hormones put, put lean muscle mass and water weight on the cattle. The antibiotics are fed because cattle were not designed to eat large quantities of a high concentrated diet, such as corn, oils, everything else. And it causes an acidosis in their rumen, which will cause them to get sick. The antibiotics are fed at both therapeutic or sub-therapeutic levels to keep that bacteria under control. Mm. With a grass-based diet, the cattle don't need it. They were designed, that's what they were designed to eat and process. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, what people need to know is that because uh, of this practice of using antibiotic on a regular basis, uh, some, of that, some of that gets into the meat and we eat it. And then uh, when we get sick and we try to get use antibiotics to get better, then uh, bugs tend to be more resistant because they, you know, we we are being constantly fed antibiotics. So uh, that's also a, a danger that's been brought up more recently uh, from the uh, healing, I mean, health establishment that they have a hard time coming up with new antibiotics that will fight bacteria that now become uh, antibiotic resistant. So it makes it more dangerous for us to eat this kind of meat. Yeah. Right. You know, we've got a lot of antibiotic risk resistant bacteria now. It's a huge issue. And, um, you know, there's a lot of debate on where that comes from. But it would seem logical to me, I'm not a scientist, that that, that could be one of the areas that it's coming from. So. Right, right. Um, can you explain us the concept of conservationism and how you apply it in your ranches? So, you know, the number one thing that we are as ranchers are, are uh, stewards of the land and concerned the land in a sustainable manner to where we can use it year after year and actually improve it. Um, in our area, in the valley, we've got a lot of uh, invasive weeds that have come up now. Uh, barbed goat grass and medusa head are two of them that they're just bad. There's not much nutritional value in there. The cattle don't like it very much. It takes over. The cattle want to eat all of the good feed around it and ignore those plants and pretty soon you, you can end up with a monoculture of, of bad grasses in your field. So one of our big issues is trying to combat uh, these invasive weed species. And uh, we pretty well do it through grazing practices. Uh, we found that if we graze that during the fall and feed it into the ground and then get the cattle off of it, all of the plants get a chance to come up. So the clovers, the ryegrass, soft chest, all of the grasses that we, we are, are desirable from our standpoint they compete with this monoculture of invasive weeds. So that's one way that we conserve, uh, I, I guess I would call that conservation measure. Um, water quality and watersheds are other ones. 
we don't have the issues that confined livestock do with water quality, with runoff and things like that. But we do prevent cattle from getting into riparian areas and creeks. Uh, we'll fence those off and leave a spot for them to go in and drink and come out. Um, but we're just looking, how do we improve it, make uh, the ranch more productive from uh, just how we work it. And uh, so that's pretty much. Right, right. So uh, speaking about water, uh, I do understand that California is going through a drought, maybe not uh, the north part is not as affected? We have been pretty affected by it. 2012, 13, and 14 were terrible. Right. Uh, last year worked out okay, and this year we're, we're getting some rain uh, now, so we're off to a good start. We've actually got grass started, but right. yeah, we're in a drought and have been. So. Right. So uh, people, because I also teach, um, I teach uh, cooking and nutrition class to uh, vegan and vegetarian, and one of their issues is that uh, cattle uses an enormous amount of water. Can you address that issue with us? I don't know how they would in, in our type of operation. Um, you know, they drink 10 gallons a day. Mm -hmm. um, on average, so I I don't see that they're a big water user in the type of operations that we run at all. So. Right. I mean, you know, of course, these are big animals. They didn't they need to drink water. But uh, uh, my understanding from the movie I watched, there was a movie against you probably have seen it against the cattle industry that uh, were using the the example as water as a as a huge waste of water for, for cattle, you know, and the amount of water they used for pound didn't make any sense for, for their point of view. But I get the feeling they were addressing more of the feedlot type of operations and uh, your kind of sustainable farms. So um, what, what can you say regarding that aspect that could make our customers feel better about eating meat? You know, it's a... Beef is a great source of protein and uh, minerals and everything else, so it's a healthy product. Um, and I guess it's a personal choice. If you don't want to eat meat, then uh, you know whether you used any water or not in raising that product probably would make a hill of beans difference in their decisions. So you know it's a personal decision on whether people want to eat meat or not. I I really don't see water use being a big issue in the type of operation that we're running. Um, we have very little farm to ground, yeah. uh, although we do farm some to raise hay. But, uh, you know, if, if there were no cattle and it were all buffalo um, across the area, which I don't think we ever had buffalo here, they drank water too and they eat grass. And so, right. and if it wasn't buffalo, the elk and they drink water and eat grass too. So yeah, yeah. I, I just don't so, see that in a big. Issue. Yeah, I understand that. It, you know, in your case, you really you grow grass, you grow grass, and typically nature takes care of you know watering the grass. In, 
unlike uh, you know uh, produce companies uh, fruits and vegetables company they have to water their crops in order to keep it growing so um, I guess we need to explain that to to listeners that uh, the process or the growing of beef is not as water in intensive as some people want us to believe. No, I, I don't think it is, um, and, and I think you hit the nail on the head. If if you're not eating meat, you have to eat fruit, vegetables, grain. They all take water too. Yeah. Water is just a necessary part of life, um, and you will consume it if you're living. Okay, uh, so going back to the the way your farms are um, sustainable, um, Mr. Wendell uh, used the terms exploiter versus nurturer. Um, can you tell us which on which side are you? I, I know the answer, but I want to hear it from you. The so if my understanding of exploiter exploiter would be when it's uh, concerned with efficiencies and profits and in things and nurture would be when it takes more care of the ground and is focused on the uh, different aspects of of uh, ground conservationism and other things is are those pretty well the definitions of the two yes yes Okay. Um, Go ahead. I, I would say one can't exist without the other. Um, so certainly we're nurturing from the aspect that we place the care of the animals first, um, the health of the animals, the health of the environment and the range. That's all part of it. We have to have efficiencies and profits in order to sustain. Um, so I don't know that one can exist without the other. Certainly we don't have, you know, 100,000 head in a feedlot feeding the cheapest ration possible, which might be on one end of the exploiter, exploiter definition, but, but we need efficiencies, we need profits, and we need sustainability on the grass-fed side in order to uh, stay in business and exist and, and thrive. Right. I was uh, very lucky to uh, spend a week at uh, Will Harris Farm, uh, White Oaks Farm in Georgia last year uh -huh. to, after we interviewed him. And uh, I'm much more aware of how sustainability is handled in uh, the kind of farm that you, you operate. And uh, it's basically nothing is wasted. Um, you take good care of the ground, so you grow very healthy grass which is then fed to animals and the animals feed on it and there's a whole cycle of life that goes that goes with that so you, you not only raise animals you also grow grass and, and the quality of the grass is very important uh, in the sense that if it does not contain pesticides and all sorts of chemicals then that typically uh, gives us a much healthier animal as well mm -hmm. I agree with that. Okay, so let's move on to processing. Uh, how, and I say, uh, you say harvesting, I say processing, some people say, uh, use other words. How are your animals processed? We uh, currently have two plants. We don't own either one of them. We have them uh, 
custom processed at a facility um, in California, in Merced, another one in Colorado. The thought process is we want to uh, minimize the travel time, freight time on a truck for the animal. Um, they're processed our specifications. Both plants are organically certified and uh, approved by Whole Foods and other vendors. Um, going back to these forms, uh, one thing that impressed me with uh, Mr. Harris was that they they offered a a three-year program, uh, sort of an apprenticeship. Uh, uh, do you offer that in your farm as well to uh, to help grow the young farmers that are interested to actually grow healthy food? So we, so Panorama has an apprentice program or an internship. Um, we had a young lady that uh, started with Panorama when she was in college and now she's a full-time employee of Panorama. On the ranch, um, our ranch as well as others, we have people come in uh, and, and work for us in college or you know, a couple of them in high school that have come and, and moved on. Um, I think it's been, I, th I think anytime you can bring people closer to their food supply is good, um, whether they're gonna stay in the industry or not. Uh, I, I, I wouldn't say that we've got a, we have a formal program, um, but we're certainly open all the time and, uh, you know, like people who come to the ranch and right. tours and, and whatever we can do. But I think it's, I think it's just good business to let people become closer to their food supply and how it's raised and understand the challenges and the issues that uh, the industry faces. Right. Um, I guess the issue I'm addressing is the fact that hopefully uh, through your example you'll be able to encourage young farmers or ranchers to uh, go into that business and not uh, you know go on the dark side the, the the highly processed type of meat yeah you know i think the the young guys coming into the ranching industry in particular are uh, grabbing on to the grass-fed, the organic side, very well. Um, my son is uh, starting to take over our cattle operation. Some of our other partners are going through those transitions and their uh, kids are taking it over. Um, the one thing I've noticed, when we started this in 2002, everybody in our generation says, oh, you guys are nuts, that grass-fed, that organic. And you still hear that from old people. You don't hear it from the young people. If it, it is very common for people 30 and younger, and I'd say 40 and younger, that's the way they eat. That's, right. that's, this, uh, this is going to continue to go. We've got a whole generation of people coming up, and they buy organic, they buy grass-fed, and that's how they want to spend their money, and I think it's great. And, and it... You know, for, for nutritionists like me, not only, of course, I'm a chef, as you know, but as a nutritionist, I highly encourage people to switch to better quality um, size down on the, on the serving size 
but it's better to have a smaller uh, serving of high quality meat that is good for you, is gonna help your body grow healthy and will not poison you than eating a, a pound of a steak that has been uh, feedlot raised and uh, with all the consequences that means. So I'm, I'm definitely on your side and I um, actually I can vouch for your meat. It's, it's delicious, it's, it's very nice. I tasted uh, what you sent me, yeah, yeah, yeah. So thank you for that and, and thank you for the putting all this hard work into uh, providing uh, us meat eaters um, such a good quality product. Mark? Yeah, I'd like to come straight in and ask you how much of your meat you eat each week? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really jealous, honest. <laughs> no, I, I eat a lot of meat. Um, yeah. But, you know, we eat a lot of grass-fed meat. Yeah. My, you know, it's funny, my wife is... Um, very involved in the health and nutrition uh, business and the paleo. And she was a big part of uh, supporting this uh, grass-fed endeavor and healthy eating. And so she, you know, drugged me along reluctantly at first um, to the organic and minimizing grains and gluten. And I gotta tell you, I started feeling so much better. My joints used to ache and um, just a lot of things. And so she kind of changed my diet and I could feel the difference in myself. So, you know, there's, there's something to this and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm certainly convinced. Excellent. Excellent. So you've, you've, you've noticed the difference from switching to sort of a standard diet to sort of a, a paleo diet with a fairly high proportion of meat in it and it's obviously yes. doing you good I mean you yeah. look like a 21 year old from here <laughs> well actually I'm 23 but <laughs> <laughs> can't be bad at all can't be bad at all <laughs> obviously we've, we've talked about sort of the way meat is grown and you know the best ways of producing good quality meat yet you know, when it's not on the hoof, when it's on the, the butcher's slab or in the supermarket, how can somebody tell what's a, you know, a good joint of, of meat from a, a less good or even a poor joint of meat? What should they be looking for? Uh, are, you, are you talking about grass-fed or cuts, or are you talking about grain-fed versus grass-fed? Well, well, really, if somebody wants to go into a shop and decides, I want to eat grass-fed meat, what's the first thing they've got to look for? Are there certain badges and um, logos and that sort of thing? And is there a quality to the meat that's very different from grain-fed or grain-finished? So I, I would, and this is my opinion, I mean, other people may say, we have a different, I have a different set of standards. The number one I would look at is grass-fed and finished. Mm -hmm. um, secondly, I would look at organic. Um, so if you, if you stay with the grass-fed and finished, you eliminate the um, GMO issue and grains, so the high omega-6s from the grain-fed animals. Um, I don't know that there's any grass-fed that is hormone 
that has been administered hormones or fed antibiotics. Mm. Um, there may be some, but I, I don't I don't know where that would be. So number one, I would look at grass fed. If you want to kick it up a notch, if you get organic, then you are guaranteed that so grass fed and finished and organic, the organic will guarantee no hormones, no antibiotics, and no GMOs. Mm. So if uh, where you wanted to fit in that. Uh, frame is, is how I would categorize it. Other people might say, I want the guarantee, I want the organic, um, period. But there tends to be a price difference between organic and uh, just grass-fed that doesn't go through the organic certification process. The third, if animal welfare is important to you, the uh, GAP certification, is another thing you can look for, um, which is another audited by a third party certification for the humane handling and treatment of animals. Hmm. So, well, I'd like to um, step in and, and specify something. Uh, <clears throat> from a nutritionist point of view, I always recommend people eat grass-fed, grass-finished above organic because Organic could also mean organic grain feed. Ah. Because a lot of people say, oh, we're organic, we're organic. And then when I push it, I push and I ask him, so is it organic grass or is it organic grain? And then they will uh, reluctantly admit, yes, we do feed them grain. It's organic, but it's still a grain. So if you want to stay healthy, I would say uh, first go for grass-fed, grass-finished first top, you know, top choice. And then if you can't find it, then go, the next best level would be certified organic. Yeah. But, but the top end would be grass-fed, grass-finished, organic. Right. That would get them all, yeah. Mm. Super job. Now, I think you mentioned it earlier, but uh, I don't know about you, but my mouth's watering. I want to go out and buy a steak. Where can people buy your meat? So um, Whole Foods in one of those regions, there's about 135 Whole Foods stores that we're in. Um, the grass-fed, grass-finished, non-organic is on westerngrassfedbeef.com. Mm -hmm. It's online. Um, and then we've got some other retailers in California. There's a list on the website that would uh, list the markets. So. Excellent. Excellent. But online, online, there's a pretty simple way to do it. Um, you can buy what you need. It's delivered to your door the next day or a couple of days. They'll tell you exactly when it'll be there. So that's worked Excellent. out pretty well. And it's a pretty handy way to get it. Yeah. Now, do you have people come out and visit the farm? You bet. Yeah. All the time. Yeah, so they, if someone wants to come out and visit yeah. the farm and see what you do and uh, you know, get, a, get an, a good eye of uh, just how good it is, they can arrange that again, that I guess. That would be great. Details, yeah. Super job. Yeah. Super. Jack, you, if you want to jump on a plane right now, we could go tomorrow. Sounds like a, sounds like a good invitation. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe next year. 
and my calendar's not so busy, but okay. yes, I'd love to come. And I know Alan, Alan would love to come as well. Yes, well, I've done my uh, my once a year farm trip already, so I'll, I'll wait. Uh, my next trip is going to be to Europe. This is true. This is true. <laughs> we okay. don't have any cattle in Europe yet. <laughs> uh, no, no, uh, but it's a, it's a good it's a good point. When I go back to France this uh, Christmas, I'm gonna I'm gonna look around and see what they offer there in, in the stores. You know, uh, I know there's also good uh, farmers and ranchers uh, in in France uh, yeah. taking uh, very good quality meat, but I don't know how the standards work out. Mark, can you tell us because you live there now? It depends where you are, and where in, in the Normandy region, for instance, um, you've got a lot of uh, cattle producers there. Um, obviously, it's very lush, very green. Um, there's one, two. There's one central abattoir um, in Villa Bocaux. There's uh, another couple spread around, so they try and keep the, the transit time. You know, the transit time from the farm to the abattoir quite short. Um, most of the time, the farmers I've seen up there, they they just let the, the cattle get on with what they want to get on with. You know, they, they move them from field to field, maybe once a week. Um, they leave that field fallow maybe three or four weeks. Um, they just keep rotating them around. And they, they seem to look after their cattle quite well. Obviously, in, in Europe, you've got the double ear tags. Um, everything, everything is registered and recorded. And uh, they have the double ear tags just in case one one gets lost, so they can always uh, record the um, you know the location and the origin of the cattle right the way through from from birth to uh, the butchering. Yeah, actually, uh, let me address that question. Uh, I understand, and this question is for you, uh, Rick. Uh, I understand that the. Uh, meat industry has been pushing to eliminate uh, traceability especially the you know uh, towards meat uh, what's your what's your take on that uh, because it, it troubles me you know we used to be able to trace the meat we eat all the way to the animal where it was produced what farm and so on and so forth now now this is gone what what happened there and, and what do you think about it well, we have always, from the very beginning, uh, advertised born and raised in the U.S. on every box of meat we sell. We sell nothing that wasn't produced in the U.S. for the life of the animal. Um, the, in addition to that, we can trace back every box of meat to the ranch it came from. So, um, I agree with you. The it's a country of origin labeling that they eliminated here recently, took away the traceability, um, which is kind of a, a big deal when you're grinding thousands and thousands of pounds of meat a day. That isn't, that isn't our issue. It's not the way we operate. We, we felt strongly about the traceability from the beginning and have been able to trace every animal back to the ranch it came from, from an individual box of meat. So, um, you know, we've always felt it was important. I also feel that those programs are good as long as they're voluntary. 
once you eliminate, once you make it mandatory, then the, I don't want to say the credibility of the program, but the stringency of the program disappears because you've got to, you've got to dumb the program down to the lowest common denominator um, mm. for everybody to do it. So, you know, the, the uh, conventional beef deal, eliminating traceability for them is a big savings. Mm. Um, and the fact of the matter is they have a hell of a lot more money than we do in, in being able to pass laws. So, but you know, at the end of the day, it's fine for us. Well, that's not the business we're in. We have traceability. We think it's important, and uh, we'll continue to do it. Did it before yeah. it was required? Did it while it was required? And we will continue to do it, even though it isn't required again. So, so that's that's very important to know for our listeners is that if you cannot trace the meat back to its origin, or there's no clear labeling to that effect, that would absolutely not eat that meat. I will not buy it, I will not eat it, because I want to know where my food comes from. I want to be able to know that how it's been raised, you know, and uh, possibly even access to websites, so on and so forth. So uh, I think it is important that uh, the good ranchers out there, the good meat processors, should definitely advertise that side of their business. I agree with you. I agree, hundred percent. In fact, that's why we do it. So. Right. Good for you. So, um, one more thing I wanted to ask is: Is your meat paleo approved? Yes, it's approved by the Paleo Foundation. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Thank you for that. Thank you again, Rick, for being on the local paleo show. And as we say in Texas, "A votre santé, y'all." <laughs> hey, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. Look forward to seeing you folks in California when you get here next year. Oh, Absolutely. Yes. It was our pleasure, and uh, we are um, uh, very glad that people like you are working hard to keep us well-fed and healthy. Yes, and I'm looking forward to a nice steak. Yeah. When you get here, <laughs> we will eat steak. <laughs> <laughs> Super job.